Good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host for this weekly program. Thank you for joining us for Deep in Scripture. Each week on this program, I invite guests to join me to talk about favorite scriptures. Sometimes they're scriptures that uh, essentially they believe they didn't see before, scriptures that awakened them to a deeper walk with Christ and particularly a deeper walk in his church. And often the guests are former evangelicals who came home to the Catholic Church. That isn't always the case, but it particularly is today. And the guest that's joined me on today's program, a good friend and uh, actually a hero to many of us because of his own spiritual journey, Dr. Thomas Howard. Uh, Dr. Howard has joined me several times on the Journey Home program, and uh, I think this is the second time on the Deep in Scripture program. Tom is... Uh, he says he's retired, but I think he deserves the rest because he's he's done such great things for the Lord over the many years. Uh, he's uh, a native of Philadelphia, raised in New Jersey. He attended Wheaton College in Illinois, um, served some time in the Army, taught at the Kingsmead Prep School in England, uh, received his M.A. from the University of Illinois, and, uh, and then married his wife, Loveless, and taught at St. Bernard's School in New York and received his Ph.D. in New York University. That's just the basic uh, outline of his journey. He is a convert to the Catholic faith. He taught at, has also taught um, at Gordon College, and he's an author of a number of books, which uh, 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 I should have them in front of me. Maybe by the break, I'll make sure I get them here to read off the long list. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not as prepared as I wish. Lead Kindly Light is the title of his story of his journey into the church. The book that he wrote that most influenced my own journey into the church, is particularly my wife, Marilyn, was his book, Evangelical is Not Enough, that describes his own journey from his evangelical faith, dis, uh, discovering the importance of liturgy and authority, and that drew him first of the Anglican Church, but ultimately, as he saw the trajectory of his discoveries, he uh, came home to the Catholic Church. Now, the scripture that Tom has chosen for our discussion today is a psalm, and psalm, uh, Tom teaches English and poetry, and it, it always makes sense to me when I, when I think of Tom choosing a psalm for a verse to discuss. Um, and uh, Tom, when you get back, I want after the break, Tom, if you're hearing me, I want to make sure that we talk a little bit about your your book on his um, uh, that you did on the uh, poet poem by T. S. Eliot. Uh, that collection was called "Dove Is Descending." T. S. Eliot's Four Quartets. I thought that was one of the best uh, critiques and analysis of that poem, and it really brought that poem to life. So we might talk a bit about that as we're looking at a psalm. Other books that Tom right now, I see the list in front of me, Christ the Tiger, Chance or the Dance, Hallowed Be This House, On Being Catholic, If Your Mind Wanders at Mass, C.S. Lewis, Man of Letters, The Novels of Charles William, The Night is Far Spent. Those uh, are, are just some of the books that Tom has written, most of which I think are available through Ignatius Press. But the psalm that he chose today is Psalm 43. And the paragraph title that my study Bible gives to this psalm is that is a plea for vindication and it's a short psalm but it's very rich 
in its call to us when we plead to God in the midst of times when we feel intimidated, maybe even attacked. And where do we turn when uh, we feel attacked, when we feel impotent to uh, defend ourselves? Where do we turn, especially when within we feel very discouraged, maybe lost, maybe even to the point of despair? Well, this is a psalm that addresses those issues. Let me read. Take a break, and then Dr. Howard will join us. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From deceitful and unjust men deliver me. For thou art the God in whom I take refuge. Why hast thou cast me off? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? O send out thy light and thy truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to thy holy hill and to thy dwelling. That I will go to the altar, then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise thee with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. Don't forget to watch the Journey Home program with Marcus Grodi on EWTN. Each week, Marcus meets new guests who have journeyed to the Catholic faith from many backgrounds. Be challenged and encouraged as they witness to how their love for the truth of Jesus Christ has brought them into full communion with the Catholic Church. That's the Journey Home program on EWTN, live on Monday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. If you enjoy the Journey Home television program on EWTN, you'll want to purchase a copy of Marcus Gerdai's book, Journey's Home. Journey's Home contains the conversion stories of men and women who, as a result of their surrender to Jesus Christ, heard a call to follow him more completely in the Catholic Church. Many of them were Protestant pastors or missionaries. Others were laymen who, though working in secular jobs, took their calling to serve Christ in the world very seriously. To order your copy of Marcus Gerdite's book, Journeys Home, simply visit our website at www.chresources.com or call us toll-free at one 800 664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. Our guest for today is Dr. Thomas Howard. And before I have Tom join us, just want to remind you that this program is connected to a website, deepinscripture.com, where you can find all kinds of information about the Coming Home Network International about uh, our work that we do, and more about this program, all the archived programs. And I want you to go to the website because the website has been completely redesigned, revamped. If you, if you check into the website, you will see the live broadcast of this program. And anytime you'll check in, you can see uh, the archived live broadcasts of this program, as well as uh, information about our guests and the scriptures that they've discussed. Hello, Tom. How are you today? Very well, thank you, Marcus. It's wonderful to uh, to join with you, and um, it's just a pleasure whenever we have you on the program. And to be frank, I 
I, I can't wax eloquently enough about your writings, and I want to make sure the audience know about your writings. Uh, I mentioned before the the break uh, your book Dove Descending on T.S. Eliot's Four Quartets, and once again I've thought that was a tremendous book uh, because I think for so many people T.S. Eliot is a, a poet that it takes a little bit of effort to really get into. Or, or let me ask you, Tom, or is that just me? No, <laughs> join the group. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, it's almost impossible for a newcomer to Eliot, and actually my book was kind of the distilling of uh, having taught the book for many, taught the poem for many years in English classes, and I just thought, well, good heavens, uh, maybe some other people besides my students will be interested in how to make their way through this poem. <laughs> well, there was a quote in the beginning of that poem that even to a certain extent reminds me of this psalm, and it's that quote, and correct me if I don't get it correctly, it's... Uh, that the way up and the way down are one and the same. Yes, yes. Uh, in, in a sense, you see that connecting to our poem, our psalm today. Yes, very much so. Now, Obviously, the psalmist is is aware of the of the darkness of the descent and so on, but that that also is included in our coming to God. Well, what, there's a lot of psalms, uh, Tom. Why was it that you chose this one for us today, in a in a general sense? Well, um, when they rang me about uh, coming on the program again and so on, I thought, well, what has been uh, a, a verse or a text that has sprung into life for me and just opened out onto gigantic vistas since becoming a Catholic? And this was uh, almost the foremost one. I guess a lot of people pick the one, the church is the pillar and ground of the truth sure. in Timothy. Uh, certainly that is, uh, has been significant for me. But this one, uh, particularly the little phrase, and I will go unto the altar of God, mm -hmm. uh, has just taken on uh, vividness and, and depth and reality for me since uh, uh, coming home to the church. You know, the traditionally, the early church fathers, you know, St. Augustine, and the tradition of the church is that Scripture has a, a, a layers of interpretation. Yes. You know, the literal, and then there's anagogical and the different descriptions of, of, yes. of spiritual interpretation. Yes. And I wonder if a little bit of that was with this verse for you. Um, yes, certainly, because uh, those four dimensions that the fathers talked about, the literal, the allegorical, the tropological, and the anagogical, um, they're all there, and I think in my case, it was, um, you know, as a Protestant, and you know, Protestant who loved the Bible, loved the right. Lord, loved the faith, uh, certainly I knew this psalm, and as a good Protestant in the Reformation tradition, um, you know, I spiritualized it uh, correctly, in one, uh, that is, saw it as referring um, to my private life of prayer, should we say, to me as a, as a soul who belonged to the Lord. And uh, so when I read these words, I will go unto the altar of God as a Protestant, I had no altar. I didn't believe in altars, of course, but I certainly did believe that in one sense, uh, 
the cross uh, is the altar uh, for us Protestants, I thought, um, in the sense that this is where the Lamb was offered to the Father in expiation for our sins and as an oblation to the Father. But it, it, well, I spiritualized it, which is indeed one of the dimensions of uh, this psalm. Of course, whoever the psalmist was, it was probably David, uh, was thinking of the literal altar that the, the Hebrews had in the Old Testament in the tabernacle and then in the temple uh, where uh, the offering was made to the Father. Was, there was the brazen altar where the lambs and heifers were uh, offered. And so this was a very, very physical and visible reality to the Hebrews, uh, but then um, drawing it into the Christian era, of course, um, I began to think uh, with new dimensions about the verse, I will go unto the altar of God. And these, these words actually in this psalm are the very first words that the priest said uh, in the celebration of what we now know as the Extraordinary Rite, the Old Latin Mass, or the Tridentine Rite in the 1500s. Um, after he invoked the Trinity, the very next words that he said, so that the, all the Catholic faithful heard these day after day after day for centuries, um, he said uh, in Latin, of course, I will go unto the altar of God. He, this, of course, applies to the priest himself. He is offering this sacrifice, uh, and in many cases it may have been understood uh, by the people as the priest, in one sense, saying of himself, I will go unto the altar of God. But we, the congregation, of course, are um, the old word for being at Mass used to be to assist at Mass. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no audience at Mass. There's a congregation. We that's the right verb for it. We assist at Mass. We are there joining in, joining ourselves with the offering of the Mass. And of course, for the Catholic, uh, there is the altar uh, in front of us. I think uh, very often Catholics or Protestants misunderstand it, and they think that Catholics think that the sacrifice of Calvary is, uh, is repeated and repeated over and over and over again which is, of course, not what the Church teaches. It's, right. it's that in, the, in every celebration of the Mass, it's as though the, the veil of time is drawn aside, and we, uh, we are there at the offering, the Christ self-offering at Calvary. We're not repeating it. We're entering into that once-for-all offering. You know, this is what's going on on the, on the altar. Um, so I began to think in these terms, you know, about about this text, and uh, uh, they are sort of a tuning fork, actually, for the whole liturgy. The liturgy is a procession, you might say, from the threshold right up into the very presence of God, mm -hmm. and um, you, you, it's a wonderful thing to keep one's mind on this during the celebration of the liturgy. Because the psalm says, you know, send in the preceding verse, send forth thy light and thy truth, uh, which is what we want, of course, the light of the gospel, the light of God's word. And this is what we get, of course, first in the liturgy is the liturgy of the word, the Old Testament lesson, the epistle, the gospel, 
and of course the Psalms. This is God's light and God's truth, the Scripture. And then they, it says, the psalmist prays, that they will lead me to thy holy hill and into thy tabernacle and unto the altar. You can see this progression. <laughs> Let them bring me to the, the realm where God dwells, to, to his holy hill, and into his very house, the temple, the tabernacle, the, the house of God's dwelling, and, of course, the focus point, the bullseye in the architecture of a Catholic church, uh, the center of focus, uh, the point of orientation with the whole thing is, in fact, the altar. And these, these phrases, bring me to thy holy hill, into thy tabernacle, and unto the altar of God, unto God, who is there at the altar. Uh, and I, you know, I, of course, began to see this in the light of what is going on from moment to moment uh, throughout the whole Mass. The, 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 uh, the phrases, as you pointed out, and I want the audience to see them, that there is this progression, just as you've said, Tom, to thy holy hill, to thy dwelling, to the altar of God, and to God. In essence, when you think about coming into the sanctuary for worship, we are, it's drawing our attention away from all the other distractions that to which our senses might draw us, our eyes, our ears, our touch, you know, our, that would draw us away, and we were to slowly draw them all, and, and we're asking that the, the light of the truth lead us, you know, almost, uh, you know, tempt is the wrong word, of course, but to, to draw our attention so that our focus on God, where then the last verse is, we will praise thee with the lyre, O God, my God. I mean, there's that, that drawing, and as you said, that's all of liturgy. Now, you're a student of C.S. Lewis, and what it reminded me of is it seems that that's the exact opposite of what the, the demons wanted to do in screw tape letters. Yes, to draw, to draw the, uh, or he was, the old demon was teaching the young one how to draw a Christian away <laughs> from his faith, you know, to divert him, distract him, uh, lead him astray. Think. So indeed, uh, I hadn't thought of that, but that would be that that book of Lewis's, the Screw Tape Letters, is a vivid uh, look, uh, almost into the pit, uh, into the the turning of truth upside down, <laughs> and to to lure a soul uh, away from the presence of God, and of course the end product of that, of course, is, is hell, is is separation from God, which is a which is the denial of, of everything that our creation is all about. Uh, yeah, I remember one, it's been a while since I've read that book, but I remember it was soon after the, uh, you know, the main character's conversion to Christianity that the, the one distraction they wanted to, to uh, put in front of his face were other people in worship. Oh, my. <laughs> well, I, th I think any honest Catholic uh, will be all too uh, sadly aware of that, you know, where'd that person get that hat, or you know, what 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 she thinks she's doing coming in dressed like that, or uh, why does that man do so and so? You know, it's just, I mean, you're, uh, it, it's it's just an ever-present distraction, which I think is one reason, a good reason to to keep uh, our eyes either closed or fixed on the crucifix or on the altar, you know, during the liturgy. 
and as people are coming up to make their communion and so on, uh, it would be endlessly uh, diverting and distracting and uh, probably play into my critical and, and uh, uh, what should we say, uh, un, unholy yeah. imagination to be <laughs> looking at each individual rather than remembering, well, what am I here for? I'm, these people with me are approaching Jesus Christ. They, you know, these are people who want to be fed by the bread of God. Uh, and uh, I'm not their judge, uh, you know, and much less their tutor or teacher or critic or anything. So, you know, it, that leads us into the whole business of the discipline of the eyes during yeah. Mass. Yeah. Yeah, there's a... Uh, boy, I want to make sure we come back to this later to talk yeah. more in depth about this, but yeah. when, when it says in verse 3, let them lead me. Yeah. Let them bring me. Yeah. Well, we know that the word me has a, has a very deep meaning. It's, it's more than, we're more than mere bodies inhabited by a soul or a soul trapped by flesh. We are body and flesh. Yeah. And when we talk about me, we're talking about a lot of things good and bad that we bring along with us. The whole business <laughs> that needs to be redeemed, you know. And I think, you know, when, when I was a, a Protestant evangelical, uh, in one sense, very, there was a good emphasis on the, the inner man, mm -hmm. uh, which is where the fountainhead of my actions and attitudes and so on come from, and my words. Um, but a common phrase was, you know, that uh, Jesus has saved my soul, you know, and yeah. my soul is going to heaven. Well, that's, that's a half-truth. <laughs> my body's going to heaven, too, at the resurrection. And the, the, the main thing we know about God is through the incarnation of his Son. He that has seen me has seen the Father. And that was a flesh-and-blood body, and that was offered for us on the cross. It wasn't a disembodied transaction a merely spiritual transaction. And our salvation came down to a matter of uh, thorns and whips and splinters and nails. I mean, it was, it was very terribly and heavily physical. And I think it's uh, one of the rich things about the Catholic vision uh, that it is a, an incarnational vision. It, it focuses on the solid realities. Uh, and actually, as I was thinking about... Uh, uh, this this text for today that we were going to be talking about, it struck me that every single one of the seven sacraments uh, demands and is inextricably uh, tied to the physical. They are not just disembodied or what we used to call spiritual transaction. I mean, you think baptism, you have to have water, or it's not a baptism. Confirmation hands have to be laid on my head and the chrism uh, the oil ho holy oil on my forehead in the sacrament of confession you might think well i mean there that doesn't involve anything uh, physical and so on yes it does i can't text my my confession to the priest i can't email it to him i can't do it over the phone there has to be the eardrums of a priest right there <laughs> inches from my ear and there has to be my voice box and my tongue saying you know uh, I have sinned in the following ways it's it's a physical 
transaction. I can't email my uh, confession in. And holy orders, hands have to be laid on the postulant. Marriage, it takes a man and a woman, and not just their, not just their spirits or their intellect or their intentions. It's the man and the woman in their totality of their being. Obviously, in the mass, you have to have bread and you have to have wine, and you can't have you can't have orange. Orange juice won't do, and rice won't do. So, and then finally, in the last rites, extreme unction, uh, the the oil and the and the priest's hands. I, I mean, all of that. That's a little bit of a diversion, but it opened out to me. I will go unto the altar of God. You know, I really believe that these things. Uh, draw from me and address the total me, uh, body well, and soul. Yeah, well, there's a sense in which, you know, once in Protestantism we threw out the, the incarnational aspect of all yeah. of these yeah. sacraments and sacramentals and were left with symbols, yeah. then in essence it took away so much of the meaning yeah. so that what we did with our body is not important as long as it's not distracting other people. Yeah. Uh, so and that's sacraments what are uh, they, they are physical. I mean, the, the point where the eternal touches our time or the unseen, God himself touches my life and the seen world here is a physical point. First of all, the creation. God made this, and it, and it uh, just uh, sings to the glory of God. It makes visible the glory of God. But then most notably in the incarnation and our salvation, as I say, was, was brought to pass via... Uh, thorns and nails and splinters and um, whips and and the, the the torn flesh of the Son of God. It was a um, you know it's, it's it, uh, it, in, it entails the whole man that God has made. Uh, Tom, we're going to take a break. When we get back, here's a couple things I want to make sure we look at from the rest of the program. Number one, who are the enemies? Ah. Uh. You know, often when people pray the Psalms and we deal with these kinds of attacks, yeah. we what? how do we deal with that if I don't have anybody attacking my, my, me yeah. in my life? Does this Psalm not apply to me? Who are the enemies in our life? Second of all, verses 3 and 4, almost, exp- you, know, when, you know, the different levels of, of the journey there almost uh, seem to imply this is the pathway at certain levels to which our soul must go through almost like, like the three ways of the spiritual life in verses three and four. And then finally, verse five, I want to make sure we talk about that inner battle that we can have with our own soul yeah. to try and talk our soul into being obedient to God. We'll talk about that when we get back from break. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Dr. Thomas Howard. And you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. EWTN.com is online with program information, the latest news, Pope Benedict XVI, plus tools for living the faith like prayers, Catholic Q&A, and other resources. Log on today to EWTN.com. Written by Carl Adam, Roots of the Reformation gives a historically sensitive and accurate analysis of the cases of the Reformation that stands as a valid and sometimes unsettling challenge to the presuppositions of Protestants and Catholics alike. This valuable resource is a powerful summary of the issues that led to the Reformation and their implications today. 
To order a copy of this book for yourself or a friend, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org, or call us at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Dr. Thomas Howard, and we're discussing Psalm 43. What about the enemies in this passage, Tom? Who are they in our lives? I think the most helpful single thing outside of Scripture that helped me to get the right focus on this this theme right here in in that verse and all the way through the whole Psalms Mm -hmm. uh, was C.S. Lewis's uh, little book of essays, on the Psalms called Reflections on the Psalms. And he says rightly that, you know, we, we can't make much use now anymore of particularly the Psalms that want God to destroy my enemies, sure. to smash their babies' heads against the stone wall, and this sort of thing. <laughs> uh, but it, in one sense, it's almost more vividly and more crucially true because my enemies are inside me. It's, yeah. it's, it's me. It's my um, stingy and parsimonious and critical and vituperative and vengeful uh, outlook on other people. And, you know, Lord, uh, smash them to pieces. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, the, the, those are the enemies. Uh, I am, I mean, as far as I know, I don't have any literal physical enemies. I mean, yeah probably plenty I don't know about who'd like to knock me on the head, but, <laughs> but um, you know, that, that's not a very present reality to yeah. any external enemy. But my word, it's a, it's a day-by-day, hour-by-hour uh, skirmish, tussle, <laughs> scuffle with, with uh, you know, my, my inclinations, my unsanctified imagination. Uh, those are the enemies that I can certainly, with... Uh, with full vigor ask the Lord to uh, extirpate. And he, in verse 5, he he talks about this feeling that I'm guessing most of us go through, some more often than others, this this feeling of of being cast down. Are you cast down? And he describes it earlier on where, um, especially if, if what you mean is that inner battle that we have against our flesh, against the world, against the the devil you know, that that's trying to destroy us to um, we want to be delivered that's verse one uh, we want to take refuge in God when sometimes it's in verse two it, we even are tempted to think it's God that casts us off yeah why have you cast me off we we wonder where is he uh, you know you, you love me God you know that question why me you know in the midst of the stuff that we go through and it's interesting that little that little refrain why are you cast down O my soul and why are why are you disquieted within me or why do you go sorrowful mm-hmm. i mean that is repeated several times mm-hmm. in the preceding psalm and in this one it used to be all one psalm in, mm-hmm. in the Vulgate uh, bible and so on and the psalmist keep in his prayer here to god uh, he keeps returning to this. So why are you cast down on myself? If all this that I am, that I believe about God, that I'm uh, addressing God about, that He is trustworthy, that He is the Victor, uh, that He is the Savior, well, why are you cast down? 
and I think all of us know all too well, well, I'm cast down because I, I'm not doing a very good job of it. <laughs> or the enemy, that is my own, uh, you know, irascibility or stinginess of soul or whatever it is, it seems to be getting the best of me here. Why are you cast down? And in every case, uh, the very next phrase is uh, hope in God, hope in God. There's my salvation and so on. And this is what we encounter when we come to the altar, and I will go unto the altar of God. That phrase, hope in God, yeah. is a very Christian phrase, though as a Protestant I didn't think that much of it. Yeah. And I've learned to appreciate it as a Catholic, as a, as an evangelical, I was more into eternal security, uh, yeah. assurance, but as Catholics, we've, we've ref recognized the, the significance of those theological virtues of faith, hope, yeah. and love. Yeah. And so we see the foundation of that here uh, yeah. for the New Testament teaching on that. Oh, yeah, hope is a, a virtue, and the virtues have to be cultivated. And, you know, they, they, don't just, they don't just light upon us. Uh, I mean, in one sense, of course, they are infused by the Holy Spirit. They are the gift of God. <laughs> But in all cases of, uh, of the gifts of God, I have to receive them, I have to be in a state of soul to receive them, and when it comes to the virtues, you know, to, to cultivate it in the, you know, in the daily situation uh, where sometimes small items arise, I need to be learning to cultivate uh, the virtue of charity, for example. I mean, that's, that's the culmination of all the virtues, but in this situation here, I mean, one point where I have to tussle with it every day is uh, Massachusetts, where I live, has particularly discourteous drivers. <laughs> and they, they, they stop and look and see you coming and pull across your front bumper. You know, and I mean, it just happens all the time in the little town where I live. And instead of calling down uh, invectives and imprecations on their heads, you know, I need to say to myself, hold the phone. You know, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass. Okay, that lady just pulled in front of me. Very rude. But my word, you know, dear Lord, <laughs> forgive me my trespasses. I've done 10,000 things worse than that. Oh, boy, you talk about the traffic in Massachusetts. I almost, <laughs> I almost hate to mention that when I was looking for colleges, I, one of the schools that I was looking at was Massachusetts in Institute of Technology. Oh, yeah. My dad and I had... I had never really driven outside of the of Ohio. We drove all the way across country to Massachusetts oh my. and hit our first roundabout. Yeah. And oh by dear. the by the time we got out of that mess, <laughs> we just turned around and went home. Uh, you know, I'm I would rather drive in Tel Aviv or Rome <laughs> or Beirut than than Boston. So Boston is one of those places that gets us ready for heaven. Exactly. Makes I saints mean, out can, of us. I can either you know, I can go one of two ways, and yep. in whatever the situation is. Doesn't have to be Boston; it can be my own living room. But <laughs> I can I can head toward hell by indulging uh, my my irascibility, my my impatience, uh, my irritability with other people, or I can start on the road toward charity, which is freedom, which is the real dignity we were made for, and all of this is. Uh, uh, right here in these in these phrases in the, in this text here, and, and you know I can't go to the altar of God, uh, loaded down, shackled, burdened yeah. with all my sins. There's one sense, of course, in which yes I come. You know the uh, 
unto thee will all flesh come with its burden of sin, says the Mass. And uh, that's true. On the other hand, of course, the proper approach to the altar of God is having made my confession and being, being penitent, being aware of my failures and shortcomings and sins, uh, and not hanging on to them and saying, well, I'm going to get the, the benefits and the luxuries of eating on the bread of God, but I'm going to hang on to my own preferences and uh, my own characteristics. No, I have, to, I have to lay that down at the foot of the cross. This um, psalm reminds me a little bit of Romans chapter 7. Oh, yes. Where, you know, Paul is, I mean, talk about that, Paul. In a sense, Paul's asking the same question in Romans 7 that this psalmist is asking. Yes. You know, uh, Paul says in Romans 7, um, uh, you know, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't do it. What's wrong with me? And I get that sense when I read in verse 2, why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? It's as if the psalmist knows better. He knows he shouldn't get discouraged. He knows God. He's been to the temple. He's been to the altar. He's received the blessing. But yet, even after all the years of effort and growing in spirituality, still once in a while, maybe often, we mourn. He's, he's tearing his hair. He says, oh, wretched man that I am. <laughs> Who will deliver me? It's, uh, yeah. And I was thinking in this connection, too, uh, that uh, I will go unto the altar of God. This is, in one sense, it is the most accurate and adequate way of describing our whole life, our mortal life, our eternal life, the very thing that we human beings were created for, the very meaning of our being, uh, we, with the whole creation and angels and archangels, are in procession to God since, since he is the, the alpha, our beginning, and the omega, the, the end, the fruition, the goal, the fulfillment uh, of the whole thing. And any losing sight of this or losing my grip on this picture of things, that I'm in procession to the altar of God with all the saints who have gone before us and the Old Testament saints and so on, any losing sight of this is a disaster which ends in hell finally and in that connection I was thinking of the, the very poem you mentioned by T.S. Eliot, mm-hmm. Eliot earlier on uh, for quartets one of the he's got a marvelous line in there where he's talking about the or just the desolation and the meaninglessness and the flatness of life without God people who go slipping along through life and, and the phrase that phrase he uses about this state of affairs for a given person is distracted from distraction by distraction. <laughs> Just, you know, no focus, yeah. no centering, no clarity, no goal, no discipline, no unity of life. Just distracted from distraction by more distractions. And I've often, uh, I, oh, I often think of that, that phrase, and I think, my <laughs> word, Eliot really knew what we mortals are made of. Yeah, well, he was speaking from the midst of his own troubled soul on the yeah. journey. And See, he, you know, he he uh, became very much of a of a Christian, a sacramentalist Christian. Mm-hmm. Well, the the you see the distinction if you compare this psalm to Romans seven, yeah. assuming that the authors of both are 
are people that are not strangers to God, but know God and know God's truth and know of uh, the light and the truth that uh, that led them, but yet find themselves still struggling in their spiritual lives. And it's interesting to compare the difference, if you want to say, on on two sides of the cross, where it, in the Old Testament the answer, you know, what what are you going to do, Lord? Well, it's the answer is hope in God. Yeah. The Old Testament hope. Paul's answer when he says, verse 24 of chapter 7, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Well, his answer is thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We've experienced the hope that the Old Testament was just looking forward to. Yes. As of the incarnation, of course, uh, God himself appeared. You know, The whole thing was unfurled for us. And the thing which the godly Old Testament Hebrews uh, looked for and in one sense anticipated and looked forward to uh, has come upon us. It came upon us at the Incarnation and then with the arrival of Pentecost. Uh, it's uh, the, the whole fullness and richness of God's grace uh, was, was given to us. You know, a lot of spiritual writers have uh, over the years talked about uh, stairways to conversion or ladders. Yes. And um, the uh, you know the journey you know Teresa of Avila John of the Cross yeah. talked about um, you know starting with a, a, you know purgi- purging ourselves of our external sins and then going deeper and deeper. Bonaventure talked about that in his journey of the, of the soul, of journey of the mind to God. Verses three and four seem to emphasize that s- same uh, steps that we go through. Yeah. Uh, do you see that in there, Tom? Very much so, and I think it, it, it's. I mean, it's the same itinerary. You know, we're going somewhere, and I will go. Under, you know, and having said, you know, I want to be led. You know, send your light and your truth. Uh, I want to be led to the place of God where God dwells, his holy hill, the, the, whole, the realm where God dwells, and into the very house of God, and right up to the altar of God, which is to say, unto God himself. Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, that which all these saints have spoken of, and there was an English one, Walter uh, Mapp, the, the, the uh, scale of perfection, and uh, Teresa, of course, and Bonaventure, uh, there's been this uh, wonderful, clear consciousness on the part of uh, the, the Christian soul, or the believing soul, uh, that it is a, it's a pilgrimage. Uh, yeah, when you think about, when, uh, if you think about the stages of the holy hill, and of course on the holy hill uh, is the dwelling place, the temple, and then within the temple is the altar, and within the altar is God. God himself. And to make transition from one stage to the next requires sacrifice. No In other question. words, I mean, there's even biblical parables about, yeah. you know, uh, if we're going to enter, if we're going to go in from the hill into the temple, we got to change our clothes. You know, yeah. we've got to be ready. We've got to put some things aside. And then once you're in the temple, you're still not to the altar yet. And so there's this this journey of cleansing. 
which people is, had to the priests and the people had to wash mm-hmm. before they came into the the holy place of the tabernacle you know and uh, I think it's uh, very much I think that's one reason why uh, the church has put the, uh, the confession the confidio right at the right at the beginning of the mass if there's any anything which I haven't examined or uh, confessed for God I want to bring this uh, right here at the very beginning of the liturgy. You know, uh, I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have sinned. Mm-hmm. You know, a non-believer, a non-Christian, if they were visiting us at the Mass, they said, that's a very downbeat way for you Catholics to start things out. <laughs> and to have something upbeat, you're starting, you know, beating your breasts about how awful you are. And, of course, the truth is, well, hey, what do you think? We this this is where we poor mortals have gotten ourselves and i want to as i make this this pilgrimage uh up to the altar of god i want you know like the old testament saints to to wash and to put on clean garments which are for the christian the righteousness of christ yeah yeah and then the beauty is that we receive the graces in the sacraments that prepares us to turn around and go out into the world yeah. and recognize that w- we almost make the same journey because we go out into the world um, as carriers of the grace and the message of light and truth so that we can draw others to a more intimate relationship with God. Let's take, let's take one more break, Tom, when we come back. You know, I'd love to have you talk to our audience in, in a sense closing about how in your journey to the Catholic Church, this, this and the sacraments helped you experience this intimacy with God and how we can how that can help those who are listening. All right. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host Marcus Grodi, joined today by Dr. Thomas Howard, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your Global Catholic Radio Network. The Coming Home Network International is a non-profit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. It was founded by Marcus Grodi, the host of this program, as well as the Journey Home television program on EWTN. If you are on the journey and interested in learning more about the Coming Home Network International or know someone who's thinking of becoming Catholic, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org, or contact us at 1-800-664-5110. The Coming Home Network International and Marcus Grodi invite you to join us for our 8th Annual Deep in History Conference coming this fall to Columbus, Ohio. This year, our focus will be on the authenticity of the sacred scriptures as we ask, how firm is your foundation? Join us the weekend of October 22nd as we bring together another exciting list of guest speakers. For more information, go to deepinhistory.com or call us at 800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, and I was joined today by Dr. Thomas Howard, and uh, I regret to inform you that during the break uh, today, a big storm passed through this part of the world, and we lost connection with Dr. Howard. And uh, so I want to thank Tom for joining us. It's always a pleasure to have him on the program. 
is great insight. And let me, again, encourage all of you to consider picking up one of Dr. Howard's books. They're all published by Ignatius Press of San Francisco. Uh, and he is a very uh, insightful writer. And he's been on the journey. And he's got a lot to say. And so I encourage you to, especially I like his book on being Catholic, which he wrote after he came home, reflecting on what he found once he came home to the church, talking about the deeper aspects of the faith that he grew to appreciate and understand. And he brings out some of that in his discussion of the psalm that we looked at today. Just a few things in closing. Uh, Tom mentioned earlier in the program that Psalm 43 originally was connected with Psalm 42 as one psalm. That's the way it was in the original Vulgate uh, that Jerome translated from earlier sources and so you see the connectivity of those two psalms because Psalm 5, uh, verse 5 of, of Psalm 43, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. That is repeated. That was what's called an antiphon. Like if you sing a song, you sing a verse and then a chorus, then a verse and then the same chorus and a verse and then the same chorus again. That's, we see that in Psalm 42 because we see that same section repeated in Psalm 42 verse 5. It's repeated again in verse 11 and then verse 5. The reason I mention that is that many people come to liturgical worship, particularly that you find in the Catholic Church, wonder where'd you get this stuff from? Where the Catholics are carrying on the great tradition that was handed over to us the Psalms are the foundation of our liturgical worship and prayer. And we see this and this is in this Psalm, and it's repeated every day in the Liturgy of the Hours as well as in the Mass. Again, I want to point out verse 3 and 4 of verse 40, chapter 43. Encourage us to recognize that our journey in growing in intimacy with God is in stages. We progress because as Teresa of Avila describes in her journey to the, the seventh castle, the first stages involve cleaning up the more visible, more obvious aspects of our sinfulness. And then as we progress, we may get to the point where on the outside we look pretty good, but now we're dealing with the inside. We're dealing with the altar of our heart. As we grow in union with God, we see that progression here in which we go from holy hill to the temple, to the altar, and then to God himself. We're called to do that. And Paul talks about that in his Ephesians where he tells us in chapter 4 to put off the old and then put on the new and have a new mind. This journey of cleansing ourselves by grace of those many things in our life that distract us from being able to look straight on with God. As Tom mentioned earlier, earlier, they could be distractions of the people sitting in the pew next to us. They could be distractions of all of our worries and our concerns, all the things that we put in the place of God. Well, we are to, to, to push those aside, to draw our senses to focus on God as we journey closer to Him, to the holy mountain, and then into His sanctuary, and then there before the tabernacle where we experience the reality of Jesus Christ in the tabernacle in the real presence of the Eucharist. And there we experience on the altar the reality of our God and Savior who gave us new life because of his sacrifice, his sacrifice for us on the cross. Well, thank you for joining us in this episode of Deep in Scripture. 
my prayer that it was an encouragement to you. I encourage you to go to our website, deepinscripture.com, where you'll find other programs and other resources, all the things that the Coming Home Network wants to offer to help you grow closer to Christ in His church, because you and I are on the same journey together to the holy hill, to the temple, to the altar, and to our God. God bless you. See you next week.